What did he say as he died on the cross? I just had never really studied it. I went to examine these words, and these words of Christ started to examine me. Welcome to Life, Love, and Family. It's Easter week, a time when we remember the death, burial, and resurrection of the Christ. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is he. The word became flesh and the light shined among us, his glory revealed, living he loved me, dying he saved me, and buried he Sins far away, rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. Welcome into Life, Love, and Family. Hi, this is Dr. Tim Clinton. Yeah, it's Easter week. We're spending some time just to reflect on who Jesus is to all of us. Today we're going to talk about the very last words of Jesus, the first steps to a richer life. Our special guest today is Stu Epperson Jr. Stu is founder and president of the Truth Network with radio stations across North Carolina, Central Iowa, and Salt Lake City. The Truth Network also develops and syndicates programs on over 300 affiliates nationwide, including Life, Love, and Family. Stu is also the host of Truth Talk Live, In his spare time, he enjoys coaching and playing the game of basketball. His passion, though, is that all people everywhere would experience truth. He lives in Winston-Salem, North Carolina with his wife, Julie, and their four daughters. Stu, welcome into Life, Love, and Family. Hey, Dr. Clinton, an honor to be on with you, my friend. Is this your first book, The Last Words of Jesus? It sure is. This is a book that every Christian needs to read. As we get started, Stu, what led you to write the book, The Last Words of Jesus? I was actually engaged with some men in a small group Bible study called Wednesdays in the Word, and it was about this time of year, about Easter time, and I just thought, what do I talk to these guys about? We're getting into Holy Week and Good Friday and all that, and I started just studying the last words of Jesus. I started to think about these questions, like, what did he say? As he died on the cross. We've all had some sort of relationship with these powerful sermons, these cross sayings, but Doc, I tell you, I just had never really studied it. I went to examine these words, and these words of Christ started to examine me, and <laughs> they started to get inside of me. And I wrote the whole book on my smartphone 5, by the way, which is a whole crazy story, but it's what I had in my hand in the little notes there, and I just started to study, and I said, okay, well, tomorrow for my Bible study, I'm going to go through all seven sayings of Christ on the cross, and then the week after, we'll move on to something else. Well, we got through just the first part of the first statement from the cross, and it was intense. When you get into things like forgiveness and all these themes, it just was intense. It'll mess you up in a good way, and so as I started preparing to connect with these men and try to get real, something we need to do more of in the body today, the Lord started working in me and working in my own pain in my life, and I started lingering at the most sacred ground in the history of the world, the cross of Christ. And honestly, that's kind of how this book was born, and the Lord just led me to 
to make it simple. The KISS method, keep it simple, Stu. That's kind of my, my <laughs> motto. So that anybody, whether it's just someone checking out Jesus for the first time or maybe a pastor who wants to research but can't pick up a giant volume, but wants just to have a kind of a, a template and some basic facts and points with some great quotes from other great men as well. And so that's kind of how the book ended up in its current form, Last Words of Jesus. You know, if you take a few moments this week and watch maybe The Passion of the Christ or something else, you'll see scenes where in front of the chief priests, the Sanhedrin, Herod, Pilate, the soldiers, the mob. What's interesting, Stu, is he uttered not a word. Can you start us out there before we go to when Jesus did speak? Why didn't he offer a defense? Jesus Christ came to this earth for a very specific purpose, a purpose and end that would transform. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have a life, they might have it more abundantly. There Jesus Christ is coming through all these trials and, and all of that chaos and absolute show, and here the one who uttered the words that brought this earth into existence, and yet he's not even defending himself as a lamb led to the slaughter. Like the prophet Isaiah says, he opened out his mouth. That amplifies even more the power of what he said as he died on the cross. It wasn't until he came to that point. He was on mission, wasn't he? I can see the scene of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane when he he cried out, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. There wasn't anything to defend. He knew what he had come to do. He was born in the shadow of a cross. That's exactly right. And he laid his life down willingly. Here we have the shepherd laying his life down for the sheep. This whole process, and I try to take people through, especially chapter 5, which is quite graphic, the account of Christ's physical suffering and travail and torment from his betrayal, which happened in the garden, to his final breath. And it's extensive. In fact, the publisher made me take some of it out because it was so graphic and so barbaric. But such is the choice, such is the cup of God's wrath that the Lord Jesus Christ willingly said, not my will, but thy will be done. Let this cup pass from me nevertheless. Not my will, but thy will. This is our Savior. His death is what leads, you know, leads to our life, and just amazing. Final words. He uttered not a word, and then he opened his mouth. Stu, let's start with the very first words of Jesus on the cross. It starts really with a prayer, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Take us there. Well, three of his seven profound sayings were prayers, in fact. He opens up his time on a cross with exactly that. In his most precious, in his most dear presence of his Father. And it's a prayer, which is what's fascinating. After all the torture, the flogging, the scourging, the abuse, hoisting him up on this rough, splintered cross between two malefactors, two horrible criminals, naked and hanging there in the shame, the first words out of his mouth, a word of prayer and a word of not Father, destroy them, but Father, forgive them. What a statement. I mean, with just the whole idea, that's what, one thing I love about this program, Life, Love, and Family. I love to hear the stories of supernatural forgiveness. Without these words from Jesus Christ, without who he is and what he performed in that moment, there is no forgiveness. So ends my entire life. So ends my entire Christian broadcasting career. So ends this program and all of them. But 
the forgiveness of Christ is what gives us life. And he said, Father, forgive them. Of course, we talk about who they are, which is a great discussion. And then the statement, they know not what they do. I mean, do we have any idea what our sin did to the Savior? So he's praying for and dying for those who betrayed him. And his words are, Father, forgive them. Forgive us. You studied it. What does it really mean to forgive? Well, in the word forgive, in the Greek, it actually has the word grace in it, the word give. It does mean to offer something to someone that cannot be bought, that cannot be purchased. Something can't really be given in exchange. It really is the highest extent of grace in action. And if this is happening, by the way, the first day of the cross, which is found in St. Luke, chapter 23, verse 34, after he says these profound words of forgiveness, it says, and they gambled over his clothes. Here he's praying for their forgiveness, and they're joking and mocking and blaspheming. It's a big joke. They're at the scene, and yet he's praying forgiveness. So it's just, it just is a contrast. You see heaven and hell in stark contrast, but you see God coming and literally offering something. Forgiveness is an offer. It doesn't have to be received. There are people that were at that scene of the cross that are burning in hell today because they did not receive that amazing gift of forgiveness. But there are many thousands, a countless multitude from every race and tribe in heaven singing praise because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the forgiveness that they did receive, including a fellow hanging right there on the, in that same area, just a few feet away on another cross. That leads us to the second sayings of Christ there on the cross. Uh, he said to one of the thieves today, you shall be with me in paradise. And really the setting was the soldiers and more at the feet of Christ saying, if you really are the son of God, save yourself. And then you've got two thieves, one on the left and one on the right. One who cries out, save us. And the other one who cries out, Lord, remember me. And then Jesus utters those words, today you will be with me in paradise. Words of hope. What'd you learn about that saying? Throughout history, there has been a, a stark contrast. And actually, God gave me a poem in that chapter, and because I, I couldn't find anything to reflect this. I tried to find hymns, and I tried to find ancient works, and it's called, Which Man Are You? And it, the poem contrasts the sacrifice of Abel versus the sacrifice of Cain. The two men that went to the temple to pray, one was high and lifted up and proud. He said, thank you, I'm not like that guy down there, that scumbag. And yet the other one, this tax collector, was just smiting his chest and broken. And, you know, the contrast between the older brother who was proud and the younger prodigal who came home, who was repentant, who said, let make me a servant. And here you have these two thieves. Jesus was basically crucified between two members of ISIS. These guys were bad guys. And nothing but silence meets that first thief's cry. He actually asked for pardon as well. He, he said, if save yourself and save us. But Jesus did not, would not, could not do that, or would have forfeited the whole deal. But Christ answers. That prayer of forgiveness was immediately answered. Tim, it was probably the worst sinner's prayer ever prayed, to be honest with you. I mean, I hate to, Dr. Bright, Dr. Graham, Dr. Moody, God bless you. We love you. Great, great <laughs> men of God have led in a lot better sinner's prayer than that. I mean, imagine if the pastor got up and said, if you want to receive Christ, come forward and we want you to pray this prayer. Lord, remember me when you come to your kingdom. This wouldn't probably pass many of our tests, but his heart. So he was high and lifted up on his own cross of death. His heart was bowed low, and his heart was broken. And he said, Lord. I mean, what a great statement. Lord, if you confess your mouth, Jesus is Lord. He said, remember me. 
who said that? Who's the last person to say the words, remember me? Just the night before, as Jesus Christ held up the wine and the bread, he said, remember me. The next person in the Bible to use the word remember was this thief. When you come into your kingdom, he recognized him as a king. He knew he was the real deal. He saw him pour out love on those that hated him. He saw something supernatural, and he realized this is salvation. This is the Lamb of God. He saw other families going to Passover, leading little lambs with their children to be sacrificed. And there he is hanging next to the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And he called out to him, and Jesus said, Today you will be with me. Not you will be like me, not you will be catechized, baptized, cleaned up, go to a priest, go get yourself right. No, today you will be not like me, you will be with me in paradise. I guess the takeaway on that would be, have you refused Christ or have you repented to him? That's it. Right there, just receiving him as he is. No one wanted the bloody Christ. No one wanted the crucified Christ. They wanted a conquering king, except this thief. He realized that he needed salvation. He needed the blood that was bleeding out right in front of him. He needed that for his own sin, and he got it and we'll be with him in heaven. And I know what? I can't wait to talk to him someday in heaven. That'll be a great conversation, boy. <laughs> You're listening to Life, Love, and Family. Uh, our special guest today is Stu Epperson, Jr. We're talking about the very last words of Jesus, the first steps to a richer life, an amazing brand-new book. Uh, Stu's a dear friend of ours. He's a founder and president of the Truth Network. He hosts a program called Truth Talk Live. Stu, as we keep going here, talking about the last words of Jesus Those words of when Jesus sees his mother, and he looks at her and says, Woman, behold thy son. It was fascinating to me to read about your thoughts on why he referred to her as woman. But there's a tenderness in that address as Christ looks at her and says, Behold thy son. And I guess the idea of honoring and loving our families is being echoed even from the cross. When you come around someone's execution, you're there for them. What do they want for their last meal? What, how do they want to go out? How can we give them the most comfort, the most consolation, the most relief, the most reprieve from their anguish? And, and how can we minimize this? Yet Jesus Christ, as he's dying, he is giving, he is expressing deep care, deep paternal care for his own mom, who is literally watching her own child die. I mean, no parents have to bury their own child. We have these little cliches like that. Well, this is happening right here. And yet, miraculously, she loses and gains a son in the same day. Jesus Christ, warmly, compassionately, and graciously, even though he's suffering and bearing the weight of the sins of the world and gone through a hell of physical torment and torture and barbarism, yet he is caring deeply for his mom. And I call it social justice for the cross. Mary is a picture of the widow, and John could really be a picture of the orphan. And as his body is being destroyed, his spiritual body is being formed. And all of a sudden, you have this supernatural dynamic that is what we call the body of Christ, that we are connected. Hey, we say brother, sister. Hey, bro. Well, time out a second. Do you really mean that? This is what the body does. The body, it says the next person, he took her into his home for the rest of his days. From that day forward, see? That's Christian life. That's what the body of Christ looks like. That's social justice. It happened right here at the cross. Looking up, he also cries out to the Father. Yeah, I think in anguish, Stu, in abandonment. And he says these words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Talk to us, I guess, first of all, why he transitions from Father to my God. 
great question. This is the toughest of all of them. And sometimes, you know, in these interviews, I, I'm almost like, wow, what am I going to do when I get to number four? Because every theologian I read is completely flummoxed by it. They're blown away by it. They don't know what to do with it. Martin Luther had sent him in the conniptions. He came out of a room of seclusion after no food and water for a long period of time. And he said, God forsaken by God, how can this be? This is the darkest, what I call the darkest mystery in all of history. These are the only words we have in the Bible to describe three hours of pitch black in the middle of the day. It's intense. And Dr. Clinton, how many why questions? In your years of counseling and helping people find healing at the cross, how many why questions do you get? How many why questions do we have? If the book of Job didn't have why questions, it'd be two chapters. You ever thought about that? It's a long book because Job's buddies and his wife and everyone's got why? Why did this happen to you? Why did you lose your kids? Why did you do this? Why did you sin? And here we have God asking God why. What a thought. And it's amazing that the only time we say, why did bad things happen to good people? Correction. Why do good things happen to bad people? And how about this correction? Why do bad things happen to the only good person? This is the only time in history where bad things happen to the good person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he asked why. And in that moment of being forsaken, which is a huge, deep, dark moment, this is far worse than the physical pain. So intense and so infinite that God even shielded our eyes from it. We can't even understand it. That's why I believe it was pitch black in the middle of the day, because it was so profound. But the curse was being born. My pain, Tim Clinton's pain, the pain of the Holocaust, the killing fields, all bound up in a nuclear warhead of sin aimed at the friend of sinners in that moment. And we can go there, and we can take the only place we can truly go to ask our why questions and to get an answer. And it's found in the Lord Jesus Christ in that moment. The fifth saying on the cross, I thirst. Stu, is it the connection there about the level of suffering that he endured? He's the one who says that if you believe in me, you will never thirst. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's interesting. It's the shortest thing he said from the cross, and it is the only thing he said about his own discomfort. Here you have the water of life crying, I thirst. In this chapter, I mean, when's the last time someone took you through a blow-by-blow account of the execution of Christ? The Passion of Christ was, you know, like a decade ago. There have been other portrayals, but it's a dark, brutal thing. And the words, I thirst, really represent the thirst of his passion and what he physically suffered and what he endured. His visage was marred beyond recognition, it says. It is finished, the sixth thing on the cross, Stu. I guess we would assume that it simply means he did what he set out to do, period. In this, there's a sense of finality. And to those who believe and who trust, that work is done. All I can say is amen to that. That's, you put it better than I could, and we, I call it a word of perfection, the greatest closing statement of all time. We are a bent on achievement, but none of us, none of us accomplishes things perfectly. And we procrastinate, we put things off, it's evasive, it's elusive. From academics to athletics to that Super Bowl ring to that being elected to the highest office, and yet we all fail. But one person walked the earth perfectly. God became a man, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and he says in John chapter 17, verse 4, he said, I have finished the work which thou hast given me to do. And Jesus Christ triumphantly declared, it is finished, which means we need to all stop trying to earn God's favor, to earn a spot on the roster. He has accepted us. He paid for it. So either I climb up on that cross and you put nails through my hands and feet and say, okay, Stu, 
you keep bludgeoning yourself or beating yourself up and maybe God will like you one day, or I go to that cross and I bow at the feet of the one who said, it is finished, and Stu Epperson is not, and my finished creation in the garden when I said, it is good, and my finished new creation on the cross when I said, it is finished, is all sewn together at the end, he says, in Revelation, he says, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. So this statement really points to the finality and the infinite consummation of our salvation. The gospel says Jesus Christ earned our salvation for us. So quit trying. Quit trying to work your way to God. Quit focusing on what you're doing and what you've done for him and focus on what he has done for you in triumphal victory when he declared, it is finished. His final words. I think with boldness, with confidence, with deep affection, he says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. What does that mean to you, Stu? It's a great statement of life and death. I mean, Jesus Christ, he lived as he died, commending and depending upon the Father. I asked Anne Graham Lotz what her favorite saying from the cross was, and that's the one she said. And I told her, I was sharing with her about how that's actually, it's a direct quote from Psalm 31, but it was actually a Hebrew bedtime prayer that they prayed Every night, the, little, the Hebrew mom and dad would put their kids to bed. They would pray that prayer into thy hands. I commit my spirit as though, God, we have lived with you and walked with you today, and as we go off to sleep, we're in your hands, whatever happens. And what a great statement of peace. I call it in the chapter the ultimate RIP, Jesus Christ, the ultimate rest in peace. This could be said of him. This was true of him. And the question is, is it true of you? Are you living in peace with Christ because of the war and the battle that he fought for you? Have you trusted in his perfect peace, which is the only thing that can bring you true peace, is peace with God? And this is what Jesus, I believe in that statement, is the ultimate enunciation of that peace that he brings. Our God is a good God, the psalmist wrote, and he will go with us even unto death. As a matter of fact, love is stronger. His love is stronger than death. Stu, I want to give you the closing word as we are preparing our hearts and minds to commemorate the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I will challenge everyone with exactly what God's been challenging me, and that is go to that cross just like you are. Take the pain, take the guilt, take the shame in your life. There's stuff in my life I would never share with Dr. Tim right now on the show. He might not have me back again, you know, but there's pain deep inside. And the place to take it, I would challenge you to go to that cross and study Jesus Christ. Study those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Study His words and linger there. Just bow before Him. Think about what He has done for you and pray and plea and walk in the reality of the redemption and the blood of Jesus Christ and take your pain there and talk about your pain to Him, to Almighty God, the wonderful Counselor, because he's the only one that can look through his blood and sweat with a crown of thorns on his head. He's the only one that can look you in the eyes and say, I feel your pain, because he bore your pain on the cross in order to bring us to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And he is our peace who's broken down every wall. So go there, hear from him, and you will never be the same. Here I cry, Lord, we pray. Our faces down, our hands are raised. You called us out, we turned away. We've 
question is, this Easter, who is Jesus to you? Isaiah wrote these words about Christ. He said, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. But surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But no, he wrote, He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. He opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and his sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Why? Because he was on a mission, a mission from God. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. What it simply means is the love of heaven reached toward each and every one of us. He gave his life a ransom for you and for me. The greatest question in all the world is simply this. So then, what think ye of Christ? Who is he in your life? Let me challenge you this Easter that if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, that you'll say, Lord, remember me. And if you're drifting, if you're wandering, if you know it's not the way it's supposed to be, come on back home and let your cry be, Lord, remember me. And to that end, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. You've been listening to Life, Love, and Family. If we can be of help to you, please visit us at lifeloveandfamily.net or call us toll-free 855-455-3264. Happy Easter. Life, Love, and Family. Women in Depression, get confidential help. 1-877-257-9612. Women addicted to alcohol or drugs, get confidential help. 1-877-257-9612. Women with anxiety or eating disorders, trauma, and PTSD, get confidential help. Timberline Knowles Residential Treatment Center. 1-877-257-9612 or timberlineknowles.com.